2: Hold up.
3: Hello and welcome back to the Roker Report podcast in association with Forks Brewery. We've had a change-up in host this week. Alex has been given a rest as he's picked up some kind of minor knock, flu or something like that, he said. And you've got me, Graham, or the Scottish one, as some of you prefer. Sunland and Phil Parkinson have continued to be absolutely garbage this week. I have a star-studded show today alongside myself as Sunland legend Gary Bennett. How are you doing, Gary? I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. Total Sport host, Simon Pride. You're well, Simon?
4: Very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
3: You were here nice and early, earliest one. I was, yes. Thank you for pointing that out. <coughs> Don't dob Gary in it, but uh, yeah. Um, and the 2nd dress best man in the northeast, Nick Barnes. How are you doing, Nick? Very good. Very good, thank you. Do you agree with my
1: summarisation, second-best? Um, I'm trying to think who's first. Me. Benno. My oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> excuse is a big screen blocking my view of you, so I can't quite see how well-dressed you are.
3: I was going to say Benno, but I was going to say not Benno, sorry, but I kind of disagree. I've seen him with David Speedy a few years ago, so I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> keeping myself to myself.
4: That's got to be a record. I mean, every time Benno gets interviewed, David Speedy gets mentioned, exactly. but in, within the first minute, that is pretty good going. It's <laughs> That's what I'm remembered. <laughs> that's what
0: I'm remembered for not me 23 spectacular goals, but anyway. But it is a link, it's
4: a link with Coventry, you see, so that's quite, okay. know, it, It's okay. relevant. it's right. relevant. Okay.
3: Back to more depressing news, I guess. Um, some that have had two games this week Uh, the first one was Gillingham so we crashed out of the FA Cup for the first round since losing to Oldham Athletic in 1924 we had no shots on target in 120 minutes but as Phil Parkinson said we did roll our sleeves up and give it a right go so he thinks Uh, Brandon Taylor played kind of alright went too bad but well, we'll start with the the Gillingham game, and I'll start with you, uh, Simon. Uh, what did you make of the Gillingham game?
4: Well, I wasn't at that one. These two had the privilege of, of covering that one, um, so I listened to what they had to say. You and to be honest, I, I, you know, I tuned in and out. Um, I was at home and, uh, you know, doing other stuff. listened for a bit and then turned. Out. and Then by the end, when I tuned in um, towards the end of extra time, I tuned in. And there was actually just a a period of silence. Neither of them spoke when I turned the radio on. I think that uh, what was you know you probably back this up. That's what the game had come to. It was basically just um, there was nothing happening. I think you were just waiting for for penalties because it didn't look like anyone was going to break the deadlock. Obviously, Gilliam did in the end. Um, But it just sounded. And from what Gary was saying, I mean, Gary, you said in commentary Mm. that it was probably the worst game that you could remember covering with Nick. And bearing in mind you've been doing it for a long, long time, that probably tells a story, and yeah, just absolutely dreadful. I went onto the BBC Sport website to watch the, inverted commas, highlights, and I think it was 52 seconds that they managed to find or something like that, and so that probably tells a story in itself. You've already mentioned not a single shot on target, and um, it's a sad indictment. That coming off the back of a couple of other dreadful performances, I mean, the Scunthorpe game in the Football League trophy, um, obviously dreadful as well against a team... That was in a division below, um, so it was yeah, it just seemed like they were kind of staggering from one low to the next. Um, the away performances, in particular, just completely uninspiring, and there were h- clearly uh, huge, huge problems. And that Gilliam game illustrated that very depressing.
3: You mentioned the um, the comment that obviously Benno made, Gary. When it comes to, I mean, I, I'm I'm lucky enough to remember the '90s when everything was great. Um and I remember we had a lot of characters in there that genuinely would roll up their sleeves and always give it a good go. Um I'm I'm a bit surprised by his comments, Gary, that he said he felt the lads give it a right, good go. Did did you <laughs> see that? Did you see it was a right good go? Or do you think he's just giving platitudes and, and saying false like <laughs> statements basically?
0: Um you can't question the effort. Um it was a, a difficult game. Um, you know, you you know what Chillingham's all about. They haven't got the, shall we say, the technical ability what some of the, well, so-called Sunderland players have got, especially when you look at them on paper. So, you know, what they've got to obviously make up with is effort. And that's something which they did. Um, And we got caught up in, shall we say, their long ball game. And they're better at it than us. Um, And to go 120 minutes without having one shot on goal, um, you know, the only shot we had was from Will Grigg. But I think the overall um, display from ourselves um, was poor and, yeah. you know, we we were finding it very difficult and especially when we finish games, I think sometimes we obviously look back or reflect back on maybe the commentary or how we see in the game and then listen to the manager's post-match interviews as well and to see if we've got it right. And I would say eight times, nine times out of ten, we usually get it right. But I've got to say the last two or three occasions, I think how the manager sees the game and how we've actually put the game across, I think there's, there's a little bit of a gap <laughs> in regards of that. And like um, the Grand Canyon. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to put it in, in a roundabout way. And yeah, and sometimes, you know, we look back on ourselves and think, are we being a little bit critical of the players, we've gone over the top. But I think, you know, when we look back on, especially against the game against Tuesday, I think a lot of the supporters, especially the 329 supporters who went to Gillingham and the people who listened to the game as well, agreed how we
3: seen the game. Coming to you as well, Nick, um, it's it's kind of difficult to fill in any sort of space of time with that Gillingham game. It was so, so bad. But and I'm going to remove Luke 9 out of this, but I, I sometimes think, Effort and desire. I, I think there's a desire that's lacking there. But what did you make of the game on on Tuesday, Nick?
1: Um, a colleague of mine texted me during the game and said because he was having to do follow it on online for the BBC, <laughs> and his his word to me was turgid, and, yeah. and and I couldn't disagree. I mean, it was it was awful. It was a, it was a dreadful game to commentate on, and there were very very few redeeming factors that that came out of it. Um, you know, as Benno says, I don't doubt that the players went out there and they were. You know, committed to, tr- to work hard and try and make something of it, but it was such a mishmash. And then when it ended up being long ball, high ball, and Benno making the point that there seemed to be more headers in that game than anybody, you know, kicking the ball. It it it, it was turgid and, and frustrated afterwards. By you, you know, it happened at Scunthorpe the week before. Phil Parkinson's post match comments bear no relation really to the match that you've just watched. But I know I've got a sense now because it happened again after Coventry that. Phil Parkinson's coming out and he's defending his team. But then when you speak to him pre-match, as I did, you know, before the Coventry game, he's much more open about some of the problems that are clearly within that set of players. I mean, you know, one such instance is this after Grant Ledbetter said after Scunthorpe that they, they're not all sort of rowing in the same direction. And then there are factions within the dressing room which need to be addressed. And that's something that Phil Parkinson didn't shy away from on Friday when I spoke to him. He didn't deny that that wasn't the case. Um, just said that yes, it, it's not as bad as perhaps it, people perceive it to be. So there's a it's sort of an admission there that things aren't quite right. Um, but there are, you know, there are a lot of problems at the moment, and mm. we've said numerous times in the last few weeks, it's it's worrying, it's a concern that you can go from a team that, while they lost at Shrewsbury, they had I don't know how many chances, and they should really have come away with something, to a team that turned up at Gillingham and didn't have a shot on target. Um you can't just flick a switch and hope that when Coventry roll up, you're gonna play Brazilian football and beat, you know, Coventry five 0 and and that was the case, you know, against Coventry again, it was a better performance but it was still frustrating.
3: Talking about um sort of the the factions that were in the dressing room, I think Grant Grant Ledbetter really did pretty much write it down on paper for us for that interview you did, I think, after the Scunthorpe game, I think it was. Um but with with the team itself, we weren't playing great under Jack Ross. There was a reason he was sacked, right? But why have we gone progressively worse under Parkinson? Can that be... I mean, I'll come to you, Simon, with this. Do you think mm. anything can be pointed at Parkinson... With that, because obviously we have got considerably worse under him in a really short space of time.
4: Yeah, and that seems to be a lot of people's opinion. And obviously, you have to factor in as well that five 0 win over Tranmere, and everyone thought, yeah. oh, actually, you know, maybe he's doing something here. I heard him described as maybe a sort of League One version of Sam Allardyce, getting <laughs> things a bit simpler than they were under under Jack Ross, and uh, you know, maybe just finding a way to to win games um, that they hadn't previously when they were drawing so many. But then since then, it has gone completely downhill. Now the manager obviously has to take some. Share of responsibility for that. It takes any manager a degree of time to stamp his authority on a team, on a club and to get his ideas across. And so I suppose, you know, you have to give him a bit of leeway because of that. Um, but certainly, you know, um, you haven't really been able to see in any of the games since then that um, that they are progressing, have you? It, it's, no. if anything gone backwards which is which is a big concern and something which I've noticed in you know the interviews that, that Nick and others have done with him is he, he's making quite a lot of excuses there's no other way to describe it really he's, he's talking about injuries he's talking about all sorts of other factors uh, which is he's, he's almost like distancing himself from the things that are, are going wrong which again is a little bit concerning all right you know he does have problems particularly in terms of the strikers with the yeah. injuries that he's got and the fact that Will Grigg is simply not producing the goods at the moment, so yeah. he, he really doesn't have a functioning striker, does he? Let's be honest. So, you know, there are mitigating circumstances certainly to the way things are going, but um, it's difficult to understand why uh, things have got worse. Maybe there is something to do with this talk of factions or in the dressing room, maybe some players are miffed that Jack Ross got sacked, and I mean, you know, some Shame have been enough, accused of, of maybe downing tools a little bit, um, um which there's absolutely no excuse. That you know, no matter who the manager is, all right. You know, the previous manager got sacked because of the way that those players were playing, didn't he? So, yeah, um, yeah, if they then take a huff and 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 stop performing even to that level, well, it reflects more on them probably than the new manager. But certainly, you know, in a very short space of time, a lot of pressure is now on Phil Parkinson's shoulders. Some people have even said that after the Coventry game, you know, that, that Kim Pioca's goal. Actually, has saved him his job. I mean, that's yeah. somebody said that on the BBC Newcastle phone, and after the uh, after the game. So um I, I don't think that would be the case. I don't think. You know, I think Parkinson obviously is going to get a bit more time than that, but he's already under a heck of a lot more pressure than he would want to be after so few games in charge.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned something really strongly there, and I think I wrote something about this uh during the week before the Coventry game. Um, I, I was vocally felt Jack Ross was the wrong man. It, truth be told, if I knew Parkinson was going to come in, I would have probably kept him. Um, I, I don't think Parkinson's the right man, but I think you're right in what you're saying. If, if any of those players have taken the half because Jack Ross lost his job, then you need to remember why mm-hmm. Jack Ross lost a job in it, and it was their performances. Um, but you've touched on Grant Ledbetter and I wanted to, wanted to ask you, Gary, uh, th- there is factions in the dressing room. I think many of us have heard it and Grant Ledbetter has pretty much confirmed it. Um, as a captain, what, what does Grant Ledbetter do in that dressing room?
0: I think, you know, you look at Grant Ledbetter, Um he's been in you know, many changing rooms. Um, I think if anybody knows Grant, the way he goes about his football, the way he goes about his life is mostly totally, totally different to the majority of footballers. You know, he likes to keep himself to himself, but also he likes to do, do things professionally as well. And, um, you know, if there's certain things which happen not just on the field, but in the changing rooms or off the field, shall we say, He's, um, he's a man who, or a player who, you know, he'll most probably bring it to the managers or say something about it where he'll talk his mind, you know, speak his mind. Um, you know, he likes to do things right. Um, Grant Ledbetter is what you can call, he's a footballer. He likes to get the ball into his feet. He likes to play, you know, and the long ball, which we've been playing recently, doesn't suit Grant Ledbetter. Um, and I think one thing which you do find or you see with Grant, he, he cares. And I think that hurts him, that he's mostly thinking there's one or two players in the changing room who, shall we say, doesn't hurt. Losing games doesn't hurt. And I think that sort of annoys him. Um, And, you know, Nick's just touched on about characters. Um, You look at Sunderland Football Club at the present moment, you look at the team and the big question is, where's the characters? There is no characters. There's no leaders
4: Where's the Beno? Yeah,
0: you know, yeah. seriously, where is it's the Beno? You know, there's Very no, true. there's no, there's no leaders there, and you know, we, we did the program on Friday, Total Sport, and we, you know, okay, we laugh about certain things in regards of Will Grigg <clears> and the manager going round to uh, his house, you know, and yeah, it's funny at the time, but you know that is a serious, serious matter. Yeah. You know, little things like that. And then, you know, I listened to the interview um, yesterday, uh, the post-match interview with um, Phil Parkinson coming out about Kim Pioca. Oh, You know what Kim Pioca is. You know, he's a player. He's full of smiles. He's full of joy and all this. And we knew that we put him on the pitch. And he's thinking, yeah, well, try to get some of that it and give it to Will Grigg. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but again, I supported Will Grigg yesterday because, you know, it's easy to... Pinpoint or point the finger at certain individuals. And, you know, Will Grigg, you've got to play to, to his strengths. You know, he's not one who's going to run the channels. You know, you look at the game yesterday against Coventry City. The ball's going into the box. How many's in the box? One person, Will Grigg. If you don't find Will Grigg, you're not going to score goals. The more people you have in the box, the more opportunity you've got of scoring goals. And that's how we, correct, that's how we got the equaliser yesterday. Yeah the equalizer we had three or four people in the box and it's fallen to Kim Pioca. he was able to put the ball in the back of the net
3: and it's as soon as Watmore and Kim Pioca came exactly. as well and it's like but I wanted to before we go into the match in full I wanted to just come to you Nick as well and, and maybe I'm maybe I'm being harsh here and I, I suppose you can tell me if I am or not but I think yesterday when I was at the game I, I leveled at a lot of the players because as you do you you, you vent them matches and sometimes you can be a bit harsh we're talking about characters, but the worst thing for me yesterday, and I'm gonna take I'm not gonna name anyone specifically, and certainly not I certainly didn't think Will Gregg was one that was shirking his responsibility. I can see he put the effort in. But there was some players on that pitch, um, that just weren't taking the lead that maybe Lugo Nine does, and they were almost cowardly. There was points when there was a simple, easy decision to make to win a ball, press a player and it wasn't just about showing character yesterday, it was about them not being cowards. Um, and that's how it came across to me Yes, and has come across in a while, but how do you get a player just to kind of defend Parkinson a bit and play devil's advocate how do you get a player Nick to sort
1: showing character does that not have to come from in themselves? Um, yeah I think it, it, it does I mean it clearly does I think you know there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about the players taking responsibility for the position that the club's in at the moment and there's a lot of, there, there's a lot in that and you know I think it's interesting looking at the way that the, both Jack Ross worked and the way that Phil Parkinson works and both of them um in fairness to to the pair of them have been very candid off the record. I think Phil Parkinson's very defensive on the record because he's trying to exude positivity if you like. He he's trying to get a message out there that we will get it right. It will it will turn around. Let's all be positive. Let's all sort let's all head in the same direction. But actually when you speak to him off the record, he's very open about individual players, about what they're doing with individual players, what they're trying to do within the group. But I come back to Beno's point about I think it is a passive squad. I don't think there are, there aren't. I mean, the, the characters that you've got in there are, are very insular characters, and people like Ada McGeady, who cares about his football, but is actually quite a selfish footballer in, in the sense that um, it's it's very much all about him, if you like, rather yeah. than the team necessarily. Chris Maguire, again is very inconsistent, but again he's not uh, he's not an ebullient character in terms of um, standing in the middle of the pitch and shouting at his teammates and cajoling them and trying to get them playing you haven't got anybody in the squad that is of that ilk which is probably what it needs it needs someone to you know grab someone by the scruff of the neck if you like and even if it's at half time and throw them against the wall and shout at them and get them g'd up i mean you know luco nine is a perfect example of a player that if you had 11 luco nines you'd have a you'd have a a very very good team spirit and you'd have a a, probably a, a technically um, flawed squad, but you'd have a squad that is fueled up, mm. energetic and probably very well suited to League One. So what you've got at the moment is, is parts which aren't coming together and parts at the moment which are coming together under a manager who, who historically has preferred to play long ball football and you know has been champing at the bit to get Charlie White back into the team so he can sort of change the style and the system. And what I was talking about yesterday in the build-up to the game, I was talking to Phil Smith and James Hunter about... The worry for me now is that in January, all the talk of having to bring four or five players in and suddenly 18 months down the line, when we were looking for stability and trying to move forward, we're in a position where we're talking about major surgery again and starting again, starting from scratch. And then hoping that in five months you can, you know, rebuild the squad and get out of League One Um, when I'm beginning to think this is going to be another season in League One, another rebuilding process.
3: It's scary. Um, we, as always, we will move on to the game, but we've got the, the three-word review from the fans. There's at least 95% of it calling for Parkinson to go. A lot of swear words, and probably quite rightfully so, but we'll, we'll pick out the ones that, that didn't include swearing because pretty much all of them did, um, understandably. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Donaghy says, Bring back Jack. Don't agree with that. Um, CTD underscore Sunderland lad, I think that says. Sundland lad, there we go. Uh, games in hand. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um Anthony Watson says play Benji Tuesday. I think everyone can echo that sentiment. Um Tom Dowson says recall Ethan Robson. Liam Angus says finishing below Bolton. Um not sure on that, Liam. Um Metro Gnome, never ending nightmare. Yep. Mike Taylor, falling out of love. I can understand that. Hannah Brown, papering over cracks at LPH says <laughs> now I don't know if anyone around this is quite good, this Nissan trip needed. <laughs> if anyone remembers it yeah, didn't I really the uh, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't help the david Moyes. didn't help the david Moys either too yeah. much there lph uh jordan Gowland says league one forever neil brown says bolton destroyed him I, I don't know oh That's phil so. parkinson all oh, right I, I thought he was referring to jack ross yeah. i was like i think oh well, well um safc wilks might survive relegation you never know um and hair lip attendance is dropping soon yep so just moving on to a little bit about yesterday's game and i'll try and keep it as short and as nice and as even as possible um we were crap um from pretty much start to finish I think we've (laughs) mentioned about I mean yesterday um I was sitting there obviously with with um Ashley with my girlfriend and we were sitting watching the game and when the goal went in I didn't even react to it I didn't even react I was annoyed the only time I reacted was when I realized it was Benji that scored and it was like that's nice that's nice for him but Again, and, and, and this is my opinion, I'm not, I'm not going to push my opinion on anyone, but I just felt like it was a cowardly performance front to back, apart from Luke 9 um, who I think always tries his best. And I, w- I was trying to pinpoint out yesterday the people around me, if you look at Luke 9 and the desire that he shows to get there first and actually make something happen. And Denver Hume a little bit yesterday, to be fair to him. And I know people don't always agree with that, but Denver did try a bit yesterday, but there was nine or 10 players there not showing a level of desire. And it, and it ended up where like, a pretty turgid Coventry side to be honest. I didn't do much. I can't remember them having that much that many chances of Burge having that much to do. We were just that bad. And I suppose we sort of we somehow got out of it in the end, didn't we? But but Simon, what did you make of yesterday's abysmal, horrible yeah. performance? It
4: wasn't great, was it? It wasn't great. I heard Gary saying afterwards that it was certainly better than Gillingham. It was nowhere near as bad as that. And um so I suppose, you know, that's one slight positive to take. I probably wouldn't agree with you in terms of it being cowardly and mm. um yeah, I mean, I've seen some of the teams, um, and I think you can sort of cite maybe the team that got relegated under Moyes from the, from the Premier League and some of the, the players that were in the side then and indeed in the championship season. I think there were certainly cases then oh, yeah. when, you know, players had, they, they didn't care. They, they, you know, there were some players in that team that, that clearly weren't bothered what was going to happen to Sunderland it was all about them. I think, to be honest, yesterday, I think most of the players were trying, were giving it their all and to be fair to them they did get back into the game, they did keep going and they got that equaliser, you know, so um, to an extent there has to be a bit of credit for that I don't think that, um, yeah, what you're talking about there, the lack of quality, I don't think it was down to, to players not showing or even not necessarily, you know, not wanting the ball, I think they, yeah. they did, I, I think it is just a, a lack of quality and a lack of confidence, I think those are the the, the two main factors, I think on the whole, you know, that the desire was there and um, the fact that they came back into it and and got that point. I suppose that will at least maybe give them something to to cling on to after the game. I mean, it is difficult watching them. A, a, that's that's the the first match I've seen live um, that, under Phil Parkinson. So I was trying to work out what his style of football was. Certainly, you can tell that he would rather have a big striker. Um, and yeah, it, it was difficult to see. What the game plan was? Quite a lot of the time, it seemed that you know he had Ledbetter sitting in front of the back four. It seemed that that Dobson and Power that were there to to run around a bit and to you know when Sunderland didn't have the ball, would you know to close down, try and win it back. When Sunderland did have the ball, maybe to try and get forward and support the the front players. But you know the ball was getting played up quickly, and um, Sunderland of weren't often retaining it. That's not Will Griggs' role. McGee um, and Maguire were for large parts of the game. Maguire in particular completely ineffective, yeah. I felt. so um, Very poor yesterday in Yeah, the player, I felt. yeah. so, hey, you know, there, there was certainly, yeah, it didn't look very coherent, generally, the performance. Um, Will Griggs still is a, is a huge issue. I get what Gary says about, you know, the fact that they don't they're not play to his strengths. So I feel a bit sorry for him to that extent. But I think, you know, as the game went on, his movement became less and less. He became more disillusioned. I think when, when Watmore came on, that was maybe a time for him to come alive again, because yeah. Whatmore was getting down the right hand side, wasn't it? He? he was getting balls in. There was one moment that kind of struck me. I was watching Will Grig um even when the ball was nowhere near him and just seeing and he was still trying to make runs, but he seemed a bit half hearted, and there was a couple of times when Watmore was getting the ball. He could see what he was going to try and do, get down the outside. Get a ball in, and he did that on one occasion. Pulled the ball back, and Greg had just kind of—he he, didn't—he wasn't even moving from the penalty spot. It was the yeah. time you come alive, make, make a run either near post, back post, get away from your man. But he just—he just didn't, and 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 it, he was taken off not long after that. His shoulders were down. He came off, and that rather kind of summed up the game for me. So yes, it was really poor. I don't think it's down to lack of effort, though. I just do think it's down to to a lack of quality, a lack of confidence, and perhaps still players not quite sure what the pattern of play should
3: be, what the tactics are. What do you think of the game, Gary?
0: Yeah, I agree with Simon. Um, You know, we asked that question yesterday. What was the formation? You know, know, where's Aidan McGeady supposed to be playing? Anywhere he wants, by the (laughs) looks of it. You know, the amount of times, you know, he's outside our 18-yard box or inside our 18-yard box or receiving the ball in the D on the halfway line. You know, you just, sometimes you think he's just getting in the way. You know, you need him as an outlet. You need him further up the field. Now, Duncan Watmore came on for the last 15 minutes. He gave us width, and straight away, when you received the ball, it was an outlet and you just passed it out wide and Duncan was in. You know, he gave us a little bit of pace. You know, I don't know what role Max Power was playing. I think Dobson as well were lost. And I think that's something which they need to sort out. And we've been talking about this in regards of formation. We're talking about pattern of play. You know, we see this week in, week out. What is our pattern of play? You know, you look at Coventry. They had a style or a pattern of play. And when they went forward, they went forward um, with a little bit of tempo. Yeah. When Coventry had the ball at the back... You know, the amount of time they had on the ball was was unbelievable. They had so much time to receive it, to pass it. There was no pressure from Sunderland. Maybe the players were told just to drop off. Let them have it. let them. You know, but when we had the ball, we were put under pressure. How many times did we put the ball out? How many times did we miscontrol the pass? Because all of a sudden, they were willing to press. And it looks as though... When we're coming up against opponents, they seem to be at least a yard or two yards quicker than us. I don't know why.
3: We, lacked, we lack a lot of pace and energy in the middle. And I think, I think the comment you made there is maybe where my, my cowardly feelings come from is that there wasn't anyone pressing. There was no one mm. that wanted that. I, I don't think a, a football ever goes on the pitch not wanting to win. And maybe I'm using the wrong word, I think. I just want someone... You know when people talk about pressure at something? It's League One. <laughs> It's yeah. League One. How can you, like, if you've got anything about yourself, anything about yourself as a professional footballer, League One in Sunderland is not mm. a pressurising football club.
0: Well, It's uh, not. Sorry. Well, again, you, you know, people have been talking about Catamol. His name's been brought up a few times. You know, are you, are you missing a league, Catamol? You you're missing somebody off his calibre, yeah. somebody who's got that will, that heart to go and close people down. You know, somebody who wants to win. And, one and that thing, triggers
4: other people so they'd go and Yeah, exactly, it well. exactly. And, 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 and yeah.
0: You know, we, exactly. we talk about, you know, the will, have the got it. You know, one thing which you can't coach is a heart.
3: <clears throat> yeah.
0: <laughs> you can coach anything else. You can't coach, you can't coach a heart. You either got it in you or you haven't. You know, Aidan McGeady, you know, no matter how much coaching you do, he's not going to be one who's going to go and close the ball down and get hit in the face or whatever. There's no way that's going to happen. You know, and I think there was a, there was a part of the game yesterday when Dobson lost the ball in the middle of the park and his reaction was poor. Yeah. And now that might be down to confidence. You know, OK, people are going to misplace passes. People are going to lose the ball. It's what you do after it. You know, it's, you're looking for a reaction and that's what you want.
3: I think, I think it happened a lot as well. Um, I'm I'm vocally quite a big fan of Dobson, but it wasn't one of his best games yesterday. It felt like he made a few misplaced passes in the first half, and then he he sort of lost it a bit after that, and it, his head went down. and It it just frustrates me that I can see Luke Onian never letting his head go down, in at the other ten week on week seem to. But but Nick, what what did
1: you make of the game yesterday? Um, it's been encapsulated pretty well by Pride and, and Ben. I mean, I think yeah. I think it is a confidence issue to to an extent. I think there are other factors yesterday. I mean, I'm not sure sh- how much it comes into play, but I think if you're if you're lacking confidence, I mean, Power and Dobson. I think I'm right. Dobson was on four yellow cards. Powers on four yellow cards, and Dobson yeah. picked up a fifth yesterday. Whether that's played on their minds, as well as this sort of eking lack of confidence over the last fortnight, where you can see it's been sucked out of the players. Um, and the other issue, this issue about pressure and pressing the opposition. Now, we did have a long conversation with Phil Parkinson about this the other day which is something they're looking to address. Nick Allenby's come in as the performance coach and we were talking about all the statistics about it all and the problem with this squad is that it's running in games two and a half kilometres in the first 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then it's running out of steam. So he's trying to find a balance at the moment of trying to get that sort of um, energy level in the team for 90 minutes. And I think, and I don't know for certain, I'm going to chat to Phil about this tomorrow, is that what he did in in leaving Watmore and Kimpiaka, well, Kimpiaka would have been left on the bench anyway, but leaving Watmore on the bench, I think, was, was, was with a view to bring him on later in the game to up the levels again to give them that energy. But I think it it backfired because Dobson, Power, Maguire didn't perform. Yes, they didn't they didn't turn up, and I think that then skewed the whole game because you trusted those players to go out there and put in those energy levels, and they just weren't doing it. Um, and clearly when Watmore came on, it changed the game because suddenly you had a player was running at defenders, was, was causing Coventry problems down that flank. So there are issues there. There are, there are clearly issues that uh, have got to be addressed. And, you know, a lot of it is to do with the, the balance in the middle. Now, Phil says that his first choice midfielders are Power and Dobson. Why? Because they're tall, they're athletic and they can run because they haven't got anybody else with that ilk in the squad. Now, Dobson, like you, I agree with you. I think he's, uh, he, you know, as a character, he's, he's very much like Luke O'Neill. Yeah. Um, to speak to uh, his enthusiasm, his desire, his willingness. He's an experienced midfielder and he's played, you know, how many games? He's played over 100, and whatever his games in, in J22. Yeah. yeah. And so there was something clearly affecting him yesterday. It, that wasn't the Dobson we've come to expect. No. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, pulling together, I, we made this point about the last two weeks in these cup games and the form slowly, inexorably getting worse and worse. And we said going into the game against Coventry, you can't just flick a switch and suddenly turn up and play like Brazil. Uh, you know, I think it was a better performance yesterday than we'd seen over the past fortnight. But I, my fear going into the game was that with the pace that Coventry w- had, they were going to run away with it in the first half. And they, they could, on another day, have been 3 or 4 it up at halftime. And my fear was that was going to happen. Mm. You know, we we're going to get another scenario last like last season when suddenly they were going to be 2 3 nil down by the break and game over. But at least, as Pridey says, there was a, you know, a doggedness about them and, and Coventry didn't offer anything in the second half. And that doggedness paid off in the end with that you know, change in bringing on Watmore and Kimpioca. So there are some seeds and sort of fruit. There's some foundations to build on. But I think you know, I, all I keep thinking back to now is that Parkinson's got a limp up to January and just hope that they stay in touch with the teams in the top six places. Um, because yesterday's results didn't really help them too much. Um, and, and that, you know, there's it's heat pressure on the game against Burton now. So we'll go to sort
3: of questions from uh, the listeners, um, ready to go users, Twitter and and whatnot. Some really good ones, actually. Um, there's one that really does stick out to me. And I suppose it's what a lot of people maybe are asking, despite it being only, I think, two months that Parkinson's been in the job. Um, from ready to grow uh, ready to grow, ready to go, um the, uh, the the user Griswold says, and I'll I'll put this towards you, Simon, Charlie Methven said on Friday evening at the stadium light that Ross hadn't lost the dressing room and the decision to sack him was made on underlying performance data. Mm. Ross lost ten in seventy six. What does the underlying data tell us with Parkinson losing <laughs> six and ten?
4: Yes, that underlying data isn't great, isn't it? It's not Is the it? Best. So, um, and, yeah, I guess you have to analyse data over a long period of time. But if he carries on at that level, then, yeah, things are only going to get worse, aren't they? Um, I was somebody that, and, I, and, and perhaps, you know, I think maybe the tide had certainly turned against Jack Ross. I would have liked to have seen him, given more time to turn around. I liked what he was doing in some respects. I completely understand the frustrations and, um, you know, there were far too many draws, etc. But um, I would have liked to have seen I ju- I'm just sick. And tired of the constant changing of managers that have been just you know, so so many. I mean, in my lifetime, I, you know, you know, since the early seventies, there have been a ridiculous number of managers. You know, Sundance have been in existence since eighteen seventy nine, and I think you know, um, something like um four fifths of the managers in that time have been kind of since nineteen eighty. Something like, that's something yeah. ridiculous like that, and uh, and that turnover has got ludicrous over the last few years. So that's, I mean, you know, I realize there are times when. Chairman and owners feel that you know you have to make a change. I would have liked to have seen Ross given a a little bit more time um, to maybe turn things around. Now that Parkinson's here, well, again, you know, I mean, you can't you can't just say and look at his record now and say well, you've got to sack him because it's so bad. But how long do you give him if the results don't pick up? If the, if the away form stays as it is, and if they're not, and if they're not picking up wins at home, like, what will happen if they if they lose to Burton on Tuesday? And that would then be one point out of six at home, and you know people are going to start. The pressure is going to mount so so quickly on on Parkinson. But uh, it, would, it would it would take a, a really drastic set of negative results for me to be of the opinion uh, that he should be sacked because I just don't think that um, there has been any form of progress whatsoever um, under this system of of, of sacking managers as yeah. soon as things look like they're going a little bit wrong. I mean. Would it have been any... Would, would some that have been in a worse position now if Simon Grayson was still in charge? I know some fans will say, yes, they would. He, he was dreadful. Would they, though? I mean, would they... You know, they might well have got relegated still from the Championship. Would they have been in a worse situation in League One? I mean, Grayson had a decent record managing teams in League One. Might he have, last season, been able to turn things around a bit in League One if they'd kept with him all right, they'd have gone down in the Championship and, you know, he'd stayed and at least been able to gradually mould the squad to his liking? I would probably say i don't think they would be any worse than you know whatever they are now what is it 10th in? could it be in, any in, in worse? league one would it would they, yeah um if, <laughs> if they way. kept grayson in charge they'd have saved a bit of money because yeah. they wouldn't have had to pay off a couple of managers uh, in the meantime as well so yeah
3: just stop sacking managers <laughs> so regularly yeah <laughs> please maybe maybe i suppose there's two sides there's no stop sacking them and make sure you get the appointment right
1: <laughs> well can I, can I just jump in here because yeah because because pride's raised simon grayson now, we had a conversation about Grayson yesterday at the game. And it's interesting because when you start analysing it and looking at what's going wrong, and Pride's touched on it there, Grayson had a good record in League One and you know, in the Championship. Then um, Jack Ross had an excellent record in Scotland. And it's arguably, you know, you can look back at last season and you, you can argue all day long whether it's a failure or was it not. He still only lost one game at home and only six points off getting automatic promotion. Yeah. And we come to Phil Parkinson, whose record in League One, League Two championship again is good so if you take those factors together you've got three managers with a lot of experience who'd actually before they arrived at Sunderland their records stand up to scrutiny in the levels at which they were working do they become bad managers overnight no I don't think they do but then you look at we talked about we've touched on it today talking about players and players have to take some responsibility and then you look at start talking about and Benno we've talked about this a lot recruitment mm. the rec- recruitment at sh- Sunderland over the last two three mm-hmm. years has been a shambles you know, there's been times last season when Jack Ross was working when they didn't even have a scout, literally didn't have a scout because Tony Coton was undergoing surgery and, and they didn't have anybody to do any sort of recruitment. The recruitment process was such that you were having, Jack was having to suggest the style of player players he would like, but there was no money for, so therefore you have to go to players having to try and get on free transfers. And you're putting together, you know, a sort of um, a squad made up of What we've got, bit part players who are are not actually suited to purpose. And both managers now are trying to have to fashion something out of a group of players who are disparate, aren't really, um, you know, we said before, a League One squad that will get you out of League One. It's players picked out of different levels, hoping they'll come together and get you out of League One. So I think that spiral of sacking managers, because the results aren't going the way you want them to go at the moment, has got to stop. And someone has got to bite the bullet and say, right, we're going to have to suffer some pain for a month and two months or wherever it takes to allow a manager to actually build something and then have the trust in him. Because you've got to start trusting these managers' CVs that they can do a job. But at the moment, nobody's been given that stability. Nobody's been given that chance to prove that over a period of time, they can live up to their reputations, if you like. Mm.
0: I agree with um, Nick, what you said there in regards of, you know, you've got to lay the foundations and how many managers have we sacked over the last, you know, shall we say, since we've been doing... Seven, I guess. We've, <laughs> well, we've, more, been, more, we've
3: than, been going through one that. a year, basically, yeah. on average.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you, you know, we played a blame game, you know, at the end of the day, you know, let's get rid of the manager, get rid of the manager, oh, we haven't spent enough money. But I think we've been saying this for years in regards of recruitment, and it's something which we brought up on Total Sport, um a couple of weeks ago when we had Gary Hours on. And um we was talking about young players. We were talking about the last time we was in um the so called second division, third division. And, you know, we just recalled about fourteen or sixteen young players who was playing when I was playing. You know, we were talking about the likes of Gordon Armstrong um, Gary Hours and your Martin Graves, Michael Graves, Brian Atkinson, Dickie, Ord. Uh, Dickie Yord, Martin Smith, Craig Russell. You know, we can go on and on and on. Martin, you know, players at that time who was coming through the system. You know, we had about 14 or
1: 15 players who was coming yeah. through the system. Now which, is, <clears> which <throat> it might be unfashionable to say this at the moment, but because it's not been out there, because it's not something that's current in terms of the, the current team and talking about the problems they've got in the first team. But Phil Parkinson is a big champion of the academy. Hmm. They've sacked all the academy. or they basically they've gone back to to, to the base at the academy and starting all over again because it's just absolutely critical they start getting good young players through the academy. Hmm. But you and know, they're looking for someone, they're looking for a new academy uh, head, sort of recruitment to to try and who knows this area exactly. inside out, knows every football club in the northeast, knows everybody connected with it. To start trying to blood young players through the system, because those players that, that Gary's mentioned
4: there, all right, maybe some of them weren't world beaters, but they were all, all good enough, all, and all, yeah. all good enough to play second tier level mm-hmm. at the very least, weren't they? And all yeah, did a, a really good job in their own different ways Smithy at was great. that level.
3: Come to think of it, and he yeah. was given a chance at seventeen or something like
1: that. Mark.
4: Yeah. yeah, and then, then you look mean? at someone else that hasn't been mentioned there, Michael Bridges as Michael well. Michael Bridges. Bridges, later on, I know, but then you
1: know he came through. But and, you're then, only going to let that—that's only going to happen. If you like, for instance, you you know, Phil Parkinson's here now. He's got a, he's got a plan. He knows how to get teams promoted. He knows how important the academy is. So what do we do? Do we we all throw our arms up and say this football isn't good enough? You're losing games. You're, you're a useless manager. Right out you go. Another manager comes in. Doesn't believe in the academy. And then the whole thing, the whole this whole spiral mm. starts again. Yeah, you've got to stop with someone who's got a plan, and uh, which is, you know, in essence, is a rigid and workable plan which at the moment if, if Phil Parkinson believes in the academy and wants to get young players blooded and, and get the system working to get them through well it's not going to happen by January but it could happen by a year's time two years time it's probably going to be five years patient, though that's the thing may well be but yeah. that patience will it pay off in five years it probably will because there are clubs in the football league and Bournemouth is one of them who have proved that with a bit of you know sticking with the manager mm-hmm. um, Eddie Howe being the case in point in Bournemouth through all the rough times where Bournemouth are now, Sean Dyche well, as well. It's, it's, Sean Dyche. It's having,
0: well, it's having a template. You know, what is Sunderland's template? I don't know. We, no I idea. don't know what sort of player <laughs> they're looking for. You know, there's a lot of local no talent, point. you know, but we don't actually, we keep changing the academy. Well, not changing the academy managers. We keep changing the managers, but they don't have any belief in the academy. You know, we've got to, we've been talking about recruitment. You know, we can go back 10 years. You know, some of the players which we've actually brought into this football club, who's actually bringing them in? Is it the manager? Mm. Is it the chief exec who's bringing them players in? The amount of money which we've wasted? You know, so we've got to look at somebody who knows local talent, knows about the football in this area, and can build and hopefully start to bring one or two young players through the system. But first of all, you've got to have a template. You've got to have what type of player are we looking for? The times we've talked about, we're too small, we're not quick enough, we're not physical enough. You know, so you're thinking, right? Okay, first of all, we've got to find players who are quick, mobile, who's got a little bit of physicality about them. That's the sort of type of player you've got to mm. be looking at. Everything else fits in. You know, it's you know, I read about Arsene Wenger when he was looking for footballers. You know. What type of footballer was he looking for? Somebody who was athletic. Okay? You always can teach an athlete to become a footballer. You can't teach a footballer to become quicker. No. have <laughs> So if you've got if you've got <laughs> pace, if you got pace, you can make him become a footballer. Yeah. Okay? But if you're a footballer, you're not gonna make him become an athlete and
4: become a hundred. Can you do, I don't know, is, <laughs> no, you so, is that you can't you're not gonna you... make him quicker. Can you though? Because if hundred meter runners have coaches that make them quicker, could you not? Can you not but, make oh, players quicker? I don't know. Is it, is it possible? Is that something for look at? So in,
3: in a sense? It's the other way around. Yeah. I'm sure that
0: if you've got somebody who's quick and who's athletic, you can teach them to play football. Yeah. If you've got somebody who's good at football, are you going to be, be able to make and, them and quicker? You almost over need a, that
4: as the basics, you now. Do. You need to be quick and athletic and strong, and that that's the basics. And then if you're a good footballer. Well, that's a bonus. Exactly.
3: I think what Ben was doing is advocating the signing of Usain Bolt.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that went Well, in nah, Australia, it didn't nah. he? Know it. He's nah, got I'm a I was talking about goals. Lewis Hamilton.
3: Uh, well, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, got, yes. he's got that corner, is not he? Yeah, do, oh, he do all yeah, right. Can I can't do any strange. worse than what we're doing <laughs> at the moment? Jeez. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a, a good question regarding, I suppose, the management as well. And I think it's something It's something I kind of agree with. And I think when I was touching before, and I think you said about sticking with someone, and I said stick with someone to make the right appointment, I, I I I, I kind of meant like something like this. I think sometimes, and again, feel free to disagree. Absolutely, but I think sometimes the managers that like succeed the best at Sunderland are the ones that have something about themselves. I mean, you look at Roy Keane; he did really quite well here, but he's done nothing anywhere else. So it's almost like he fitted this like this club, and maybe I felt the majority of fan, the fans, me included, felt Parkinson maybe just wasn't the right bloke in that sense, but djb underscore 1976 and and i'll I'll throw to simon first again but feel free everyone to just come in with your own opinion on it um he says did the club miss a chance to energize the fan base by appointing parkinson over maybe a kevin phillips and an experienced assistant manager combination since he's come in performances have got worse which we've touched on but the fan base seems more divided than it has been for ages
4: it's a really difficult one, that isn't it? Because it Kevin is, Phillips yeah. would have been a popular appointment with a lot of people simply because of what he did as a, a player at the club. He does have coaching experience. He's never been a manager. It would have been a gamble, but then again, isn't in Sunderland's current predicament any manager a gamble? A gamble. Yeah. So yeah, I can see why people would have liked him. And then people, some people have said, well, there should have been so he should have been assistant to somebody more experienced. Others have said what you've said there. He should have come in with an experienced yeah. assistant to kind of help him along, which, you know, I guess is possible. I know Phillips was very keen on the Incredibly job. He would keen, have yeah. he would have jumped at the chance to manage Sunderland. Does he have the the character, the personality um, for the job? Only time would have told. And will he be Sunderland manager one day? I think probably yeah. he will be, whether he'll get another job somewhere else. He needs his first break in management, doesn't he? And, um, yeah. you know, if Sunderland aren't going to give him that break now, I don't know if they ever, ever will. Um, so he needs to get his break somewhere else, do okay, and then be appointed by Sunderland, I guess. Um, I must admit, I didn't think, um, you know, at one point he was a, he was a thing, the the favourite or one of the favourites to take the job. I didn't think it it would have been the the right decision. I suppose part of that is because I fear for, you know, I, I don't like it when a, someone who's a hero at a club suddenly becomes vulnerable. I mean, if things you know, and if results didn't go well for him and he plummeted down the league, well. Fans would soon turn, and that's just the nature of it. And that would be such a shame to see for someone that won the European Golden Boot with Sunderland and was perhaps, you know, the best player that a lot of Sunderland fans now have seen in their lifetime. So, so, uh, but maybe you shouldn't consider that. Maybe if he's willing to take that risk, that's up to him. I mean, there's going to come a time, perhaps, when you know that's going to be the next way that Sunderland go. I suppose they, they, you know, they, they tried with Jack Ross to go with somebody who played a certain brand of football that was untrest- untested in, in, in English football, but you know certainly impressed the owners with what he said in his job interview and the way that he set out what he was trying to do. Now, they've gone to somebody who's clearly got a, a record in League One and has got a, a record in getting promoted and also has a, a certain brand of football with, with which he's associated. If that doesn't work, well, they will change him, even though I've kind of advocated sticking with somebody else. Maybe the next time they will think, right, well, I might as well. Just throw the dice, give it a real gamble, and you never know Kevin Phillips might somehow have the charisma the energy to turn things around, but unfortunately I don't think it's as easy as that, and i I would have my doubts it would be a hell of a difficult
1: task for him I would, yeah. I would, I'd echo yeah what Brady says, and I think the, the danger is that it's it's too easy to get you know this emotional sort of roller coaster that yeah well let's get Kevin Phillips in let's get someone the hero of the club in it's a brutal league it's a brutal. Um, situation the club are in at the minute the problems you know are manifest we've, we've talked about that, it's chewing up managers it's spitting them out because the problems aren't so much the managers themselves, it's what they're having to deal with and I, I would yeah. fear for someone like Kevin Phillips coming in with no actual managerial experience now and having to combat all the things that he, he, he would have to combat behind the scenes to get a team out there that's winning games on a regular basis if Kevin Phillips had just had the last fortnight that Phil Parkinson's had would he be given any more grace from the supporters? No, he wouldn't. And it would be a horrible situation for Kevin to find himself in, you know, as a rookie manager to have to deal with this situation. I, I think, like Simon says, Kevin's got to go and get the experience somewhere, either as an assistant manager or as a manager, to to, to learn the ropes before you tackle a club which has got the, 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 the size and the vocality that this support, this club has. It, it's a massive club in that sense. It's a very pressured environment and you, you know even the best managers in the world find it difficult to cope with that pressure Um so I think to ask someone like Kevin Phillips to walk into that even though he'd have the you know a little bit more sort of breathing space if you like at the start because yeah. it's Kevin Phillips it, it, it doesn't take long for people to turn and we've seen it at other clubs where heroes you know have gone in it doesn't it, it, it invariably doesn't work it, it, it's it, and it, and I think you know history shows that it's a difficult environment for for club heroes to walk into. It's all well and good having that emotional attachment, but I think you've got to be sometimes a bit more pragmatic. Just talking about, you know, again, eh? we're we're highlighting
0: Kevin Phillips. I think any manager who walks into Sunderland have got major, major problems. We've had some very, very good managers of this football club um, and they've had the same problems. And I think it starts behind the scenes. Um, I think there's a lot of things which are going on behind, which sort of it's out of managers' hands. Yeah. Um, and no matter who you bring in, okay, Phil Parkinson, if it doesn't go well, we'll, get, we, it, we'll sack him. We'll bring somebody else in. They're going to still have the same problems. Mm-hmm. Jack Ross had the same problems. You know, Dick Advocate had the same problems. Martin O'Neill had the same problems. What's going on behind the scenes? Okay. And sometimes you put a manager up there, and he's just up there shall we say fronting the football club really he really wants to wants to tell you the real issues which are going on the real issues which they've got to deal with in regards of players you know we talk about you know we talk about Maja, for instance we'll bring that one up in regards of why did we sell him did we have to sell him you know but can the manager come out and say the reasons why we had to sell him if we would have kept him do you think we would have got promotion I think we would have gone up. You know, know, so you're talking about there's loads of issues which are going on behind the scenes, which as a manager, Mm -hmm. you can't really come out and say, by the way, this is happening. That's something I can do this. I can't do that. I can do exactly
1: what happened with Jack Ross. who refused (laughs) point blank to actually use it as an excuse because he knew it would come back because that fans would say you were just making excuses. Mm -hmm. Now, Phil Parkinson to my mind, to a certain extent, he's doing the same. He's being very, very ultra defensive about the squad, and the, because he's not going to come out and start saying, "Actually, what I'm having to deal with at yeah. the moment is this A, B, and C." But you've just mentioned, you know, you've just mentioned Phil
0: Parkinson. You've mentioned Jack Ross. You must probably be able to mention another six or seven managers previously who's had the same problem one who managed to
4: defy i guess was sam Allardyce, wasn't yeah. it i know he yeah. was only there for a very short space of time and who knows what would have happened if he'd stayed there were a couple of reasons that he went i think he was going anyway wasn't he then england came along of course so yeah. who knows what would have happened had he been able to stay and had he been crucially backed as well
1: and um, because he did seem to be the right well fit, with sam didn't he he was the right fit in that sense and crucially the budget and the players he bought in in that January mm. worked for him. Mm. He actually hit gold dust in that sense in that January transfer window, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the rare January windows that actually has worked you know, since Roy Keane perhaps and that's the six players he bought in that January. Yeah. Um, but yes, there were issues with Allardyce. Allardyce had his transfer budget slashed in the summer by half and that was, that was the point at which he said he wasn't going to stay. And I think then, of he course, was going to go England anyway, team, wasn't he? I yeah, think the it England was... thing came up anyway, but, which sort of clouded the, the situation. But he wasn't going to stay on the soul, but again that highlights again the problem behind the scenes is a manager wasn't pro- given what he was promised mm-hmm. and, he, and he wasn't going to stay as a consequence so when you get the golden goose Sunderland managed to shoot it you know mm-hmm. it's a sort of um, <laughs> so it, that's sort of Sunderland all over isn't it
3: I wanted to ask Nick I, d- I don't know how I'm, I'm probably putting you on the spot here but I think when Jack Ross went you mentioned a lot of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes would come out in the wash to, to what you can actually say what sort of things was he up against to your knowledge
1: Oh, where do we start? I mean, recruitment was one of them, you know, the the lack of um, anybody really uh, sort of solely dealing with the right recruitment. And um, and to that end, you then talk about, I mean, Jack would often talk about how he wanted a budget. He wanted to be given a specific budget. Then he knew exactly what he could deal with. And he would use the analogy of, um, I think, when he was at Alloa, he would say, right, I knew I could spend £150 a week on a left back which left me £700 a week to buy a striker. So I knew the areas, the parameters in which I'm working. But he said, here, I was given no budget. No, It was always a case of, can we have this player? No. Can we have that player? Mm, maybe. Can we have that one? No, you can't. Oh, well, we have to downgrade. Mm-hmm. What player can we get for this? And it, and it just didn't allow him any sort of remit, really, to work constructively in building a squad that actually fitted the, pla- the template that he had for a squad. So he was having to get put out a team and he had to use tactics that play to the strengths of the individual players rather than the players playing to the strengths of the, the, the team and the tactics. Um, that was just one instance of the problems that he had to deal with. Um, I think he also felt that he was left a little bit marooned by the club in the structure set, sen- sense. There was no chief executive to take a lot of the weight off his shoulders of the stuff he was doing behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So his working day would end up uh, yeah, just as, you know, one example he'd be on the training pitch till 12 o'clock straight off the training pitch to do the press conference ahead of a game which could take two hours and then suddenly he'd find a group of visitors had turned up the Academy of Light and he'd been shown around for three hours and then he said I didn't actually get to sit down with my coaches till five o'clock in the evening to try and discuss what team we were putting out the weekend so he says that's just an instance of the, the way the structure was working against him as an individual Where, you know he only had so many hours in a day and he's finding that most of those hours in the day were being taken up with activities that were better suited for a director of football or a chief executive at the football club because the structure isn't in place. So, um, you know, slowly but surely, you know, the the, the interviews that Jack's giving, he's starting to open a bit more, open up a bit more about the problems he was having to deal with. Um, But it all comes back to what we've been saying all along is you've got to have the right structures in place Mm. behind you and the right mechanisms in place in recruitment if you're going to make it work on the pitch with the first team.
0: I think, you know, I think a good example is obviously the Will Grigg scenario. Oh,
1: there's another example. hands. you know, it, could, it, could do our own podcast. I think Netflix will have this one covered. <laughs>
0: yes. It's just like, you know, like Nick just mentioned there in regards of a budget. You know, you need a budget. You need to know what you're working with, how much you can spend and wheel and deal. You know, if you haven't got a budget, then, you know, whoever your fans is bringing into a club, you go and they'll say yes or no. You know, um, you know. I'll go back to when I was manager at Darlington. I had a budget. You know, you had X amount of pounds and that's it. You can't go above that. If you went above that, then you have to wheel and deal, get rid of somebody to obviously create a little bit of space to bring somebody else in. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's about recruitment. Who's actually signing the players? You know, because... You look at one or two players who were signed for Sunland and it raised one or two eyebrows and you're thinking, well, wh- wh- why have we brought him? You know, okay, we can look at the, the Grant Ledbetter um, scenario when we had Lee Catamull. Mm-hmm. People were thinking, well, we don't really need Grant yeah, Ledbetter. wasn't the type of player we required. The type the of player we, 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 we required. And then you look at the Will Griggs scenario, you know, he's coming to the football club. I know we needed another striker, but then you're thinking, well, how he, was he going to fit in? How was Jack Ross going to fit him in, especially when he had Charlie White coming back from injury? So yeah, did Jack a bring him in? Way, or did a, a chief exec bring well, him in? A, it know. became a
1: big the problem with for Jack Ross, that Grig became a big encumbrance to him in the sense that he knew by the end of the window on that um, that January that he he accepted that they weren't going to get Grig, And he certainly wasn't prepared to pay over the odds for him. Player he, he liked, he, you know, he says Grigg's a good player, but in the circumstances it was a player that he wasn't going to chase. It became Stuart Donald's personal crusade, if you like, to sign him. So when Jack went home at eight o'clock on the Friday night or whatever day of the week it was, the window, he'd accepted that Grigg wasn't coming to the football club and he was happy that Sterling was coming in. He said, I can work with what I've got, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to start chasing Will Grigg and paying stupid money for him. But that became Stuart Donald, as I say, his personal crusade and ended up in a price tag, which in the end became an encumbrance because other football clubs then looked at Sunderland saying, oh, well, look at Sunderland, they're the big spenders, they're the big spenders in this league. They've got Will Grigg. They can spend £4 million on this player. They upped the prices they were looking to pay for other players then because agents are then saying, Oh, well, hang on a minute. You, you can afford this for X because loads. you paid £4 million pounds for Will Grigg.
0: But, you know, we just, you just touched on it there. You know, brought in the lad from Tottenham,
3: Sterling. Mm-hmm.
0: How much game time yeah, did I he have? Played. Why did we bring him to the football club for?
4: And he actually Who brought right him to the football club?
3: One well, game he actually got about twenty minutes and he did yeah. all right.
4: I think yeah, and as you said, Jack Ross was quite happy with just him. Um and he probably would have got more game time yeah, if what, Greg hadn't been brought in, be, in because and then Greg came in. because he came in on the big money, probably felt obliged to play him more than perhaps he would have he would have liked to. Somebody somebody asked on Total Sport whether um Josh Madger has since come out and said that he would have stayed at Sunderland mm. if the if the deal had been right. I, I mean, f- how, how, money, is um read <laughs> yeah, so, But is 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 Will Grigg being paid more than what Josh Madger wanted? I don't know. I mean, when you throw in the transfer fee Probably for Grigg as well, same. is it has it been more expensive to have Will Grigg than it would have been to have kept Josh Madger on a contract that he would have accepted? I would have thought so. Very I'd possibly. So, so yeah, yeah, you know that true. just again. I don't know, that's when you come back to those two words, typical Sunderland, isn't it? That's what that those the decisions
3: case. need to be, I suppose. Because I, I, I read the interview and I felt Maggio was basically saying more money. And I think when you're a fan, it, it does naturally go against you. But when you look at it more object- objectively like you just have, you're probably right. It probably would have been more beneficial to actually just pay him what he wanted, keep a striker that fits into the team, is better, is liked by everyone at the club, rather than like just chucking a load of money at mm. a guy that evidently hasn't worked. But we've got, we've got two two left. Um so I'll I'll leave one for you, Sam, and the other one's just for Nick and Benno. But um Michael Bowers from SAFC TV, lovely lad all around. He says, What do you think about that? and he puts in inverted commas, Donald and Methven are chances and a charlatans <laughs> angle that some have come out with. What what all chip in with that if you want to um, a, a, big go topic, first. I, isn't
1: I, it? I, I don't think they're charlatans or chances or anything. I think you know, I think that is actually disrespectful for Yeah, same. I think Stuart Donald, um I think basically Stuart likes to please everybody. Um, I think he sometimes comes out and says what he thinks people want to hear and that actually in the long run ties himself in, ties himself in knots because he can't remember who he's told what. But I don't think it's because he's a, a charlatan or a chancellor. I think it's because he genuinely he generally wants to get it right. He, he, you know, he, he does believe in the football club and he wants to make it work. Um, and Charlie's Charlie. I, I think you've got to take Charlie <laughs> in the same way that you take Boris Johnson or... <laughs> Anyone else who went to. Is East that a good East thing? East? Well, I think it's. I think what you do. do you well, by, by that, it's what I mean I is. Believe that, in him. But not, uh, what I mean by that is you see this sort of flamboyant, um, preposterous figure, if you like, who, who goes bounds around making preposterous statements and then having to recant them, and someone else has to come out and say, actually, that wasn't quite right. But, then, but actually, again, Charlie has the club at heart. He, he, doesn't, goes. he, he goes. doesn't want it to go wrong. Neither of them want it to go belly up neither of them want it to fail they're both working their hardest to make it work but i think what we see is the manifestation of their characters mm-hmm. we're seeing you know charlie being charlie and Stuart trying to please everybody very sensitive man Stuart. i mean we've yeah, had him in here I'm...
3: a few times and i i, I sometimes do get frustrated because sometimes people say they want it to go well so it's a their pockets I, I don't agree with that in my experience i think mm-hmm. exactly what you've said you've actually um said it in the, the way I wish I could have articulated it myself I think it is manifestations of each other's character and Charlie will rub people up the wrong way because of the man that he is do I think either of them don't want someone to do well they both desperately want someone to do well and, and for the fans not just for themselves and not just to line their pockets Yeah. yeah you
4: have to take Stewart Donald at, at face value I think and as yeah. Nick says he's sometimes maybe tied himself up in knots a little bit whenever mm-hmm. he's been on BBC Newcastle he's always um I think, being open and honest and trying to answer questions as thoroughly as he can. And, you know, people talk about him, um, you know, being a charlatan, lying, et cetera. I don't think he, I don't think he does. I think I think he, he basically just tries to explain things as best he can. And I, I, I take him at face value and I've certainly given him the, the benefit of yeah. the doubt. And I think that, um, you know, I, I've appreciated his, his openness because not all football club owners are, are like that. I think he's explained, you know, the recent... Investment from FPP. I think he's he's explained that as best he can. He came on the show recently and talked about that, and um I think that at least it, it appeased a few people and made them realise that yeah, he's actually doing his best, and he, he managed to convince us that certainly you know he stands to lose more than anybody if things don't work at Sunderland, and if um, this this loan that they now have, um you know, if they default on the payments, that well, it'll be him, Stuart Donald, that will lose the most. Him and, and Juan Sartori that you know um invested that, that, that money in, in Madrox, the parent company. So um yeah, I, I don't think I think I think if, if things do eventually go well, it might be the case that he does in the long run make some money from mm-hmm. the football club. In which he's case you, you, to, wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't I think he's entitled to do that that him, anyway, but, yeah, but um yeah. I but think. I also think he stands to you know he, he stands to, to, to lose a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think what's happened with Stuart is that I think he's been too open. Yeah. I think when you look at football clubs and football owners I think there's nobody else who's done what Stuart's done, especially no. with his relationship with the media, his relationship with the supporters. He's been on board um, and he's made the supporters and everybody else know what's happening. And maybe he's given out too much, shall we say, expectations what they're going to do. Maybe, you know, if he says we're going to get a striker, we're going to get a striker, no matter what. He's going He's going to push that through, you know, so... I, I just think that Stuart tells you And I think that's it, it. Is. you know, the Will Griggs saga yeah.
1: it was for the best intentions, but it didn't <laughs> oh, work. But
0: well, because yeah. he said he was gonna get his strikers and he's shall we say, built the supporters up. They're thinking, oh, we're gonna get a new striker and he's gonna be we went out and got a striker. So I think you know, Stuart's said he can take the club as where he can take it as far as he hasn't got the finance, as he said. Um, if um, he got to said a, from the start, you know, from um, the start, if he went to the championship, that's when he's been looking for investment. You'll be looking, hopefully, for somebody else to take it on mm-hmm. to the,
3: the to the next step. He's been, you know, well open about that. Mm. So the final question, we're going to leave it on a positive here, right? So it was a question that was aimed uh, from our very own Gavin, as uh, towards Benno and Nick. Um, <laughs> is there any great stories from the road? that stick out massively in your head let's end up on a positive oh, no, I, on. Can't, I can't tell
0: that I can't <laughs> say what happened <laughs> to <laughs> Nick, <laughs> Nick, Nick's missus is here so I can't say anything about that outrageous <laughs> comments is that outrageous actually <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I'll have worse with you <laughs> 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 cause an tell idea, you what, idea. They, 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 <laughs> tell you what <laughs> Tridger in a fortnight is going <laughs> to be interesting now t- no, oh. I, I think
4: um, I, I can never get anything I out of them about this so if I can't I bet you can't either
0: No. One well, thing which does stand out, well, you know, when we talk about, um, our trips, I think the good thing is, is that, you know, we've been going 16, 17 years and, um, one thing which you've got to have, you have, you've got to have a good relationship, you know, um, you know, because we spend so much time together, we're married, you know, <laughs> <don't we? Yeah. laughs> you know, so you've you <laughs> yeah, got, totally. you've you got to have an understanding and, and, you know, hopefully me and Nick have got that, um, uh, but one trip which does stand out is the Stoke trip when we played Stoke a few years ago. Oh, in when the we, snow. When we, we, <laughs>
1: yes, we were. Do you remember the snow? <laughs> yeah. um, James McQueen. Poor old, poor old Benno. We were stuck in the car on the A50, <laughs> is it? And in the snow, trying to get out of Stoke. It took us, what, eight hours to do two miles, but Benno needed the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so we was sat, poor old Benno, in the car for however many hours it was, absolutely desperate to get out, to go to the toilet. He couldn't because he was surrounded by cars. In the end, we get out of Stoke... <laughs> Pull over, and I thought we were going to get stuck in the snowdrift. Then, or for Benno to go on the distance. And <laughs> didn't you have a bottle or something? No, nothing. It was, it was poor old ben, it was not we equipped. <laughs> but
3: no, we've had one or two um, interesting journeys. Now you think ahead, and you've always got a bottle on hand just in case s- <laughs> of snow
1: Survival. We broke down once, didn't we, on the way to Southampton? We ended up. Yes, in the, you did or you did both of us, both <laughs> the car and us. When we broke down beside the road near Oxford, and we ended up in Milton Keynes trying to get to Southampton. One That's night. right. Yes, correct.
3: <laughs> Fantastic. Well. Thanks, as always, to our host, Sunderland University. Thanks to all the guests. Simon, thanks very much. Thank you. Nick, thank you as well. Thank you. And Benno, as always, thank you. Thank you. Um, please remember to subscribe on iTunes or whatever you listen to your podcasts on to the Rogue Report podcast. Uh, make sure you get all the latest podcasts as soon as they're released, but also make sure you subscribe to BBC Newcastle's Sunderland AFC podcast to hear much more from today's guests. But apart from that, thanks very much, lads. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you.